tonight, I, we're going to talk to you on the matter of prayer uh, as it's presented here in this portion of Scripture. I would like to ask you a question tonight. Every man, every woman, every boy and girl uh, in this auditorium, I would like to ask you this question. How many of you tonight have yet an unanswered prayer? That is, you have something on your heart you're lifting to God. You're taken to the Lord in prayer that the Lord has not yet answered it for you as you're asking it of Him. I lift my hand on that. Let's see. Uh, just hold your hand up. If you have something you're praying about tonight that the Lord has not yet answered. All right, you may take them down. I believe that perhaps... That's just about 100%, and that's just the way I thought it would be, and that's the way I believe that it ought to be. You know, um, no one in this world would ever be able to convince me that the Lord doesn't answer prayer if we just keep praying and keep trusting and keep asking as the Bible has told us to do. And that's what we're going to read about in Luke chapter 18. Now, I'm talking to you tonight on the parable, what we call the parable of the unjust judge. So let's look at this parable tonight, and it has to do with prayer. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge, which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city. She came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Now before I take up what I believe to be the teaching of this wonderful parable tonight, let me remind you something that we said to you weeks ago. There are at least 38 what we call parables in the New Testament, parables of the Lord. A parable is an earthly subject or illustration of heavenly truth. And there are at least 38 of them in the New Testament. I have looked at what, how men have tried to classify these parables down through the years. Sometimes people just take up the parables that are in Matthew, and then they take up the parables that are in Mark, and the parables that are in Luke, and so forth. But I think one of the most wonderful ways to look at the parables 
is to look at Jesus who told, who spoke these parables. You know, Jesus was, for one thing, of course, he's the Son of God. He is God himself. But Jesus was a great teacher. Jesus was the greatest teacher the world has ever known. No one could teach like Jesus could. So you have many parables in the Gospels where Jesus is trying to teach us something. Not only was Jesus a great teacher, Jesus was a great evangelist. Jesus was a great soul winner. You know, the Lord went about winning people to himself. So the Lord was a great evangelist and a great soul winner. So many of these parables that Jesus told and taught, he told as an evangelist to show how you can get people to come to the Lord and how you can be a soul winner. Take, for instance, the parable of the prodigal son. is a parable Jesus told as an evangelist about how to get somebody who's gone away to come back to the Father. Jesus is something else. The Bible teaches us Jesus was a great prophet. And in many of these parables, he speaks as a prophet, and those parables have to do with judgment, usually, that God will bring upon men and upon the earth. Now, the parable tonight, as of all the parables we've looked at so far, we're looking at Jesus as a teacher. Jesus is trying to teach me something. Jesus is trying to teach you something, and he's trying to teach us something on the subject of prayer. So the, the parable we have before us tonight just merely says, and he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And before I even attempt to preach a sermon tonight, let me say to you, I know the joy and the thrill of answered prayer. I also know the patience that it takes to keep praying about something when the answer has not yet come. But I thank God tonight for the joy and thrill of answered prayer. I've mentioned it so many times. Maybe many of you folks are tired of hearing it, but I'm not tired of telling it, so I guess you'll just have to bear with me. But every time I get up to preach, it's because God has answered prayer in my life. Because I was told years ago by people who, humanly speaking, knew what they were talking about, that my preaching ministry was over about 25 years ago because of my voice and because of serious throat trouble. But God answered prayer. And so every time I stand up to preach, I'm reminding myself that God answers prayer. And so the Lord tonight is saying, He's teaching a parable that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Now there's some wonderful things here I would like for you to see about this parable. The purpose of it is clear. There's no doubt about the purpose. Any child that can read the Bible can find out the purpose of this parable. It's to teach men and women 
who know the Lord, that you to never give up in praying about a matter, that you just to keep on praying. He told about a non-just judge and about a widow who kept coming to him and coming to him to the unjust judge and saying to him, avenge me of my adversary. He wouldn't pay any attention to her. He wouldn't avenge her. He wouldn't take care of her matter as the judge ought to have done. But she kept coming and she kept coming and she kept coming and she would not take no for an answer until one day that judge said, why this woman's going to worry me to death. Now the scriptures actually said, he said her continual coming, she will weary me. And that's exactly what it means, but it also means if this woman keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps knocking on that door and keeps saying to me, do this thing for me that needs to be done, she's going to wear me out. Unless she wear me out, I'm going to listen to what she's saying. I'm going to listen to her request and I'm going to do for her what needs to be done. So Jesus is teaching here, men ought always to pray and not to faint. Now I'd like for you to notice something. You know, the Apostle Paul said something more than once, I believe, in his writings. He said to pray without ceasing. Here the Lord is saying, men ought always to pray. Paul said, pray without ceasing. Now it sounds like the same thing. I do not think that it is the same thing. Paul said, pray without ceasing. That is, he means you should constantly be in an attitude and in a relationship with God so that you can pray. And in no doubt about it tonight, there are people in an audience like this who have something between them and God. So that if this moment some great crisis came, so that you must call on God and pray, your conscience would remind you there's something between me and God that keeps me from praying and getting an answer. And only God can show you what that is. To pray without ceasing means to be constantly in an attitude so that any given second or in any given breath of your life you can lift your heart to God in prayer and believe that the God who sits upon the throne will hear your prayer. That's praying without ceasing. But that's not what this parable is talking about. Jesus taught this parable to teach men that they ought always to pray and not to faint. What the Lord is teaching is not so much this constant devotional spirit that Paul's talking about when he said pray without ceasing. But he is, the Lord is talking about just continuing to present the petition at the throne of grace and keep on coming back and keep on laying it on the altar of God until the Lord gives an answer. Now I want you to notice the characters in this thing. 
Uh, the purpose, of course, is to teach people to pray. There are some characters involved. I think for one thing, the Lord teaches us people ought to pray fervently. Notice he said, Shall not God avenge his own who cry day and night? And I'm talking to some people tonight who've been praying about something for a long time. I've read about people who prayed long years before the answer came. I think of George Mueller. George Mueller had two unsaved brothers. George Mueller won scores and scores of people to Jesus Christ. But he had two unsaved brothers he was not able to win. So for 27 years, every day and every night, for 27 years, George Mueller prayed for his brothers to be saved. One of them got saved. People said, well, one brother got saved, the other brother didn't get saved. One day the Lord took George Mueller home to heaven. People said, well, the Lord never answered all of George Mueller's prayers. He just kept coming and kept coming and kept repeating and kept laying his petition at the throne of grace. And one brother got saved. But not long after George Mueller went to be with the Lord, the other brother said, I need Jesus I want to die like my brother George died with faith in the Lord and I want to go to heaven. And with George Mueller already in the presence of the Lord, God answered the prayer that he prayed for 27 years. You know, I, I know of people in this church and God bless you. I love you for this. But I know of people in this church nearly every time you talk to them, They'll say to me, Preacher, I have somebody that's not saved in my family. I have people come with their lips trembling and the tears rolling down their face and say, Pray for my brother. Pray for my sister. Pray for my father. Pray for my mother. Why, I've had men say to me, Pray for my dear wife that she'll be born again. I've had women say to me, Oh, Preacher, Pray that God will save my husband. Here's the Lord giving us an illustration. If we'll keep on coming, if we'll keep on presenting that petition, the Lord will hear and answer prayer. He said people cry day and night sometimes before God answers their prayer. I think the Lord wants people to be persistent. Just keep on. I like to think of this, this widow, you know, and this unjust judge. He even admitted, he said, I don't fear God. I don't care anything about man. He didn't make any bones about the kind of fellow he was. And I like to think of that little old widow. In fact, I have a friend that preaches a whole sermon on it and illustrates and demonstrates how he thought it was. I like to imagine. I don't want to add anything to the Bible, but I just like to think of that old judge, you know. He bragged about the fact, I don't care anything about God. I don't fear God. And let me tell you something. If you don't fear God, you have every reason in the world tonight to shake with fear. He said, I don't fear God. I pity, I pity the man or woman who doesn't fear God. 
But he said, I don't fear God. Not all that, I don't care anything about men. You know, the two go together. You find somebody that doesn't care anything about people. It's because, first of all, they don't care anything about God. And they don't fear the Lord. And he said, I don't care anything about God. And I don't care anything about people. And say nothing of that little old bedraggled-looking widow that comes uh, every day and says, I have a petition, judge, and I want you to take care of it. I like to kind of let my imagination work a little bit. I can see the old judge with his judge's robe on. And I can see him about ready to go out and hear a case. And there comes a rap at the door. And somebody says, I'll go to the door, see who that is. Goes to the door. There stands a little old widowed lady, made with a shawl about her shoulders and very poorly dressed. And she says, Judge, avenge me of my adversary. He said, Somebody shut that door. She comes every morning. Don't pay any attention to her. Um, so the next, next day, somebody comes knocking at the door. Go see who's at the door. Goes and opens the door. There's a little old widow woman standing there. A woman that won't take no for an answer. She stands there and pulls her little shawl. And she said, Judge, you haven't taken care of my case yet. And my mind begins to imagine things. I think one day that judge is sitting there. And he's about ready to take care of the business of the day. And his hands begin to tremble. And he gets all nervous and frustrated. And he says to himself, if I were a betting man, I'd bet a million dollars that in a moment some, somebody's going to knock on that door. And when it's opened, there's going to be a little old widow woman standing there. And she's going to cry out through the crack in the door, Judge, take care of my case. I've been begging you day after day, and you haven't done anything about it. I like to imagine, and I think the Scripture kind of supports my imagination. One day he said to the people that worked around him, You know, that woman's driving me up the wall. She's about to drive me to a nervous breakdown. I don't know what in the world I'm going to do. I've never seen anybody like her. She just keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming. And you know, the Scriptures say that the judge said that lest by her coming... She wearied me, and you know, I don't know too much about the ancient languages of the Bible, but I'm told that what he said, it will wear me out. And if you want to go deeper in the meaning, in the meaning of it, it is said that it means she will black my eyes, not with her fist, but she'll worry me so that I can't rest. And the first thing you know, somebody's going to say, Judge, what are those bags doing under your eyes? What are you upset about? And the old judge is going to say, You know, I haven't slept a week in a month. I haven't slept a night a bit for a month. For every day, that's a little old widow woman come knocking on the door saying, Judge, Judge, avenge me of my adversary. One day he said, I don't care anything about God. And I don't care anything about that little old widow woman's case. But I want to tell you right now, I can't take any more of this. And I'm going to take care of her case. And one day she knocked on the door 
And the little old widow woman thought, well, I better get it in before they slam the door. So she said, Judge. He said, come on in. And she came in, and he took care of her case. Now, wait a minute. I want you to look at the characters. I want you to see, first of all, this judge. And something I want you to see tonight, the judge is not a picture of God. This judge is not symbolic of our Heavenly Father. He is unlike God. And he's unlike our Heavenly Father. He is an unjust judge. Now you just think, this ought to bless your heart. You know, when you come to pray, you don't come to an unjust judge. When you come to pray, you come to the only righteous judge there is in the universe tonight. I remember Abraham praying. Abraham came and prayed. And he said, will not the God of all the earth do right? And you're not coming to an unjust judge. You're coming when you just keep on laying it at the throne of grace. You're coming to a heavenly Father who is righteous. When we studied the book of Hebrews chapter 6, that wonderful 10th verse says, God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which you've ministered to the saints and do minister. And I want to tell you, when you come to the throne of grace, hallelujah tonight, you come to a heavenly Father who is not unjust, but is absolutely perfect and just in all of his decisions and his answers. I want you to notice, here this judge is dealing with a stranger. Oh, probably no, no telling how many times he said, I don't know who that woman is. I don't know who that little old widow is that keeps coming and keeps coming. He was dealing with a stranger. But let me tell you, friend, when you come to the God who sits on the throne, your heavenly Father, He's not dealing with any stranger. He's dealing with one of His children. And He will deal with you as a beloved son, a daughter of His, you're no stranger to God. I like what Matthew chapter 6 and verse 8 says, Your heavenly Father knoweth what you have need of before you ask Him. I like to think God, the wonderful, loving, heavenly Father, say, Well, old Tom's going to come to me in a little while. And he thinks maybe he's going to lay something at the throne of grace. I'm not aware of, but I already know what he's going to say. You know what? I'm a member of the family, thank God. And he is my father. God is not dealing with a stranger when you come to the throne. He's dealing with one of his children. You know, this unjust judge was under no promise. You think of it. Why would that little old widow bang on that door, worry him? Why, he could say to her, I didn't make any promises to you when I was running for this office or trying to get in this position. I never promised you anything. I'm not under any obligation to you. I never, I never made any commitment to you. But wait a minute. I'm not talking about an unjust judge. 
I'm talking about a sweet and precious Heavenly Father. And He's made all kinds of commitments and promises to me. Why well, can't open this book hardly without I read of some promise my Heavenly Father has made to me. And He is absolutely under oath and under promise to me because I'm His child. I like a verse in uh, First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, chapter one, verse twenty. Never have really understood it, and I just keep praying about it and keep praying about it, keep asking the Lord. It says, "All the promises of God in Him, that is in Christ, all the promises of God in Him are yea and amen." I don't know exactly what it means. I know it means something good, so I just say, praise the Lord anyhow. But I don't know. Some of these days I'm going to find out what it means. I've uh, looked at a lot of commentaries and great people of the past and tried to get some help. What does that really mean? Yet the, all the promises of God in Him are yea, and in Him, amen. And uh, most of the folks that have ever uh, come across it in years gone by, they didn't know how to explain it either. So if you and I don't know what it means, we're in pretty good company. But I'll tell you something it does mean. It means that God, through Christ, has promised to answer prayer for you and I. If we'll just keep on coming, the promises of God in Him are yea. Uh, you know what yea means, don't you? You say, hey, Brother Tom, you want to go eat something? I say, yay! You know what that means, don't you? If I didn't want to go, I'd say, no! But I don't say no. And the promises of God in Him are yay! God says yes to the promises. And then I think, maybe, I don't know, the, the, the promise, the yay is from God, and the amen is from me and you. When God it answers the promise, and makes it real in our life. I've thought so much recently of a wonderful promise. I've quoted it ever since I've been a Christian and been in the ministry. I've quoted it many times. But I thought of it in such a new way in recent, recent months and years. Jeremiah 33 and 3. You know, God said, Call upon me, and I will answer thee. Show thee great and mighty things. Listen to it now. This is what I want you to hear. Call upon me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things. Now here it is. Which thou knowest not of. Have you ever been sick and prayed and the Lord got you well? Well, that's not what it's talking about. See, you know what that's about. You ever need $10 and pray and the Lord meets your needs? Well, then you know what that's about. But the Lord said, call upon me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not of. God said, I'll give you experiences in answer to prayer you've never had before. That's what it's saying. And I just can't help. My mind just runs wild when I think what God could do if people would say to God, show us great and mighty things that we've never seen before and we've never had happen to us before. That's what the promise says. I'll show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not of. 
Now think of that judge. That judge regarded not his own honor. Well, he didn't care what the widow thought. Now, suppose he had four or five people working for him. And every day they heard her cry and heard him deny. And saw him disregard her, show no respect, no love, no sympathy, no mercy. He didn't care one thing in the world about his honor. It never occurred to him, my honor as a judge and a man in authority is at stake. But I want to tell you, the God who is my father tonight cares about his honor. When old Abraham came and he said to God in substance, I have a nephew down there in that city of Sodom. And I love that man and his family. And you've come and told me you're going to destroy this city, burn it and bury it in fire and brimstone. I want, I want my nephew to be delivered out of Sodom. And then old Abraham, as he kept praying, he said, Oh God, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? He said, Lord, you wouldn't do that, would you? And then he said, Will not the God of all the earth do right? You see, Abraham said, God, you promise to answer prayer. Your honor is at stake. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Here's a man, had no honor at stake. He had, to, as far as he was concerned, it really isn't true, but as far as he thought, he had nothing to gain or lose one way or the other. But I want to tell you, God does. God's honor is at stake, and God, God cares for his own honor. I like what the little old woman said as she was near death's door, who'd always believed that she was saved. And when she breathed her last, she'd pass into the presence of the Lord. And someone said to her, suppose when you die and you go through the door of death, and you get out in eternity, you'll find that um, nothing is like you thought it was, and that really you're lost. She said, I would lose my soul. But she followed that with this, she said, but God would lose a lot more. They said, what do you mean? She said, I mean that God hath promised eternal life to them that believe. And if I ever lose my soul, God would lose his honor. And I want to say to you tonight, if God ever turns the heavens to brass and refuses to hear the prayerful cry of his own children, God would lose his honor, and that could never happen. Here's a judge. He had no honor to think about. Now notice something. Judge had no mercy. You see, when he finally granted the request, it wasn't because of it. he was merciful. It was because he just didn't want to put up with it anymore. He just said, I've had enough of this. I can't stand it. There was no mercy in him. But oh, my dear friend, thank God our Heavenly Father is a Father of mercy. And God won't stand to prayer. Do you know that God, I think sometimes, may just sit and weep and say, I want an answer, but I can't do it until they get to the place where I want them to be. And then I'll answer their prayer. 
why the judge showed no mercy, but God is a God of mercy. The Bible says, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. You know, Jesus said, if a son asks of, of his father a fish, will he give him a serpent? Did you imagine it? A little boy said, Dad, give me some fish to eat. And you hand him a viper. Or Jesus said, if a son asks for bread, will he give him a stone and say, Here, son, gnaw on that rock. No. And he said, If you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give good gifts to them that ask Him? The judge. Now look at the widow. She was a picture of poverty. So are you. You say, preacher, I have everything. No, not everything. All of us have about the same. Clothes to wear, car to drive, house to live in, food to eat. But this poor widow was a picture of poverty. Everywhere you see where God tries to picture destitution and poverty in the Bible, like, for instance, Lamentations chapter 1 and verse 1, when Jerusalem was destroyed, God said, Oh, how does Jerusalem sit solitary? When once she was full of people, and then God said, she does sit as a widow. And a widow in the Bible is a picture of destitution. Listen, you can have everything in the world. Listen to me tonight. You can have everything in the world. But God can put you and I in a place where we'll say I'm absolutely destitute of the thing I want more than anything in the world. I want God to hear my prayers. She was a picture of poverty. You know, she depended on another for help. So do you. Like the old psalmist said, From whence cometh my help? My help cometh from... I will lift up mine eyes under the hills, for mine help cometh from the Lord. So do yours. If you ever have some problem and you say, Well, I got a good old buddy. I think I'll go and talk to him about it. and He'll help me work it out. And many times it do. But you know, that's, that's not real. The real picture of life. I won't tell you the real picture of life is that sometimes you'll find yourself with something in your life and you'll say, My good old buddy can't do any more about it than I can. But I have a heavenly Father that sits upon the throne who's committed his honor and made his promises to me, and I'm his child, and God will hear and answer prayer. I remember in the uh, days of old here, we used to have a large tabernacle. It was built and owned by the First Baptist Church, but was used for citywide revival meetings. I think it held about 1,800, 2,000 people. And years ago, we used to have the fundamental churches of the city come together and... Uh, use that tabernacle. And we had uh, Dr. John Rice, and uh, we had um, Dr. Jack Schuler, who was a great evangelist at the time. And we had a man by the name of Henry Joe Hankins. And Henry Joe Hankins was one of the greatest preachers I've ever heard in my life. Henry Joe Hankins 
said he had a brother named Charles. And he raised down in Arkansas, out in the country, and raised uh, in a poverty situation, just like I was and, and many of you were. And um, he said one time his brother Charles got sick. But Henry Joe Hankins had a praying mother. I mean, he had an old mother, old-fashioned country mother, that just, you just couldn't convince her but what she could go to God and just hang on to the Lord and just keep praying and God would answer prayer. And Henry Joe's brother Charles got sick and they finally, they, they had the doctor again and again. Finally, the doctor came one day, said to uh, Henry Joe Hankins' dad, Henry Joe was a, a little 11-year-old boy, and Charles was older, and laying in the bed, and the doctor said, Mr. Hankins, I'm sorry to tell you, but Charles is expired. He's, he's died. He, he's dead. And um, uh, the, Mr. Hankins, the father of 11-year-old Henry Joe, and, and the father of Charles laying there in the bed, and the doctor just pronounced him dead. And Mr. Hankins said to little Henry Joe, 11 years old, said, Henry Joe, will you go tell your mom? Go tell your mom that the doctor said that Charles is dead. And little Henry Joe was afraid, and he said, Dad, I can't go and tell Ma that by myself. Uh, I want you to go with me. And they knew where Ma was. You know, <clears throat> the disciples knew where to find Jesus a lot of times. They knew they'd find him at the place of prayer. And in a certain place, the Bible says, Jesus had the place of prayer. And so they knew where to find more. They went through the little old country house down in Arkansas, off of a little old back porch and out by a little old well. And a little old house that country people, little old bitty house, country people used to call a smoke house because they'd hang the meat up when they'd kill hogs and they'd build a fire and let the hickory smoke smoke it and they called it the smokehouse. And old Ma Hankins had a habit that I wish every Christian in this house had. She had a habit when things, when she needed something like she needed a boy well, she'd go on out behind the smokehouse and she'd get on her knees and she'd call on God. So that morning the doctor said, Charles is dead. And uh, Mr. Hankins said to Henry Joe, Go tell your ma, Charles is dead. said, Paul, I can't go by myself. I'll, I, you go with me. So Mr. Hankins and the 11-year-old Henry Joe, I heard him tell it, went through the house and off the little back porch and out by the well and back to the smokehouse. And the old country woman was down on her knees and calling, lifted her voice to God and said, Oh, Lord, I'm going to believe the promises of God that you're going to raise up my son. I'm going to claim it. And she was praying. And her husband came and said, Ma. And she just kept praying. Oh, God, I want you to raise up my son. He's very sick. And you're the great physician. And I want you to raise him up. Mr. Hankins said, Ma, Ma, I'm trying to tell you something. Charles is dead. And he said to Henry Joe, Tell your mother, Charles is dead. Henry Joe Hankins, 11-year-old boy, said, Ma, Charles is dead. And the doctors in the house just said, Charles is gone.
She got up and wore those old long dresses that nearly dragged the ground like my grandmother did. And she kind of stomped one of her little old feet and she said, He's not dead. I've been praying that God would raise him up. She went stomping through the house and she went over and jerked the sheet back. Said, Charles, you get up from there. And Charles raised up in the bed and said, Ma, what do you want? She said, I want you to get out of that bed because my God answers prayer. That's what I want. And Charles, you say, well, is he really dead? Who cares about whether he's really dead or not? The wonderful thing was when she, when she prayed, she got an answer. She pulled that sheet back and a doctor standing right there and said, Charles, you get out of that bed. And he raised up and said, Ma, what do you want? She said, I want you well. And God has said that you will be. Oh, let me tell you, I'm talking tonight about people just keep coming. You know, this woman was hurt because of her importunity. She just, she wouldn't quit. Now, you can't wear God out. And God, my Heavenly Father, is never going to say, well, boy, I just wish they quit coming. Oh, the Father says, oh, I hope they'll come again this morning and tonight. And I hope they just keep coming. I'm just waiting. When they, and when, when the time comes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer the prayer. I hope they won't quit. His old judge said, I wish you'd quit coming. God said, I hope they'll just keep coming. You know, when Job, when Job was at the end of himself, no man has ever been at the end of a rope like Job was. Job lost all ten children, put them in one big grave. Job lost everything he had, and he was well-to-do. God had made him well-to-do. Job lost something money can't buy. You think it can? I want to tell you something. That little old blue cross card won't keep you in good health. It'll help you when you get sick. Your life is in God's hands. And old Job lost his health. I guess Mrs. Job was a good woman. She bore him ten children. One day she went and looked at him. There he was. It wasn't a sound place on him. Didn't even look like a human being. He'd gone outside the city to the city dump and sat on an ash heap and took some old broken crockery called potsherds in the Bible and scraped that old corruption off of him, sling it down in the ashes. And she looked at this, this thing looked more like an animal than a human being. And his breath was unbearable. And she said, Job, why don't you just curse God and die and get it over with? And old Job said, in Job chapter 13, verse 15, he said, though God slay me, yet will I trust him. I'm going to keep on trusting. And what Job says, one of these days, this old body is going to be well. And God has heard my prayer. And God has listened to me. And though he killed me, I'll keep on trusting him. One day, Mrs. Job came and said, Well, I do declare, I believe you're looking better this morning. And one day, old Job rose up. And one day... Mrs. Job said, I've got something to tell you. 
What is it? We're going to have a baby. Number 11. And one time, at a time, the baby was born. And one day, she came and she said, I've got something else to tell you. We're going to have, this will be number 12. And I'd kept on until um, uh, Job had come home from the fields and he'd say, uh, Honey, you got anything to tell me? And she'd say, Yeah, we're going to have another baby. And they had ten more. And I like to read the end of the book of Job. I never have understood suffering, but I will tell you, when I get through reading the book of Job, I don't even want to understand it. Because the Lord doubled all of His sheep and doubled all of His cattle and doubled all of His camels and doubled all of His donkeys and beasts of burden. He gave Him twice what He had before and He buried ten children. God gave Him ten more. And I like to think that one day Somebody came around and said, Job, you've got a pretty good-sized family. How many children do you have? And Job said, I have 20. I got 10 in heaven and got 10 on earth because God. You see, the Bible says the latter end of Job was better than at the first. You know why? Because one day, sitting in that, on that ash pile with corruption, all over him, and sick as a man can be, he said, I'm going to keep on praying. And I'm going to keep on trusting God. And one day God said, Old Job, I'm going to show the whole world that God answers prayer. And the Lord raised him up. Let me quickly close. You know, there are characters in this. There's the judge and the widow. And I've already mentioned the other one, the, the Heavenly Father. God will always avenge your case. He'll always take care of it. And you know, God many times is testing our faith. You know, never a better man ever lived than Abraham. Wasn't perfect, but you see, you and I aren't either. But the Bible says, and the Lord did tempt or test Abraham. He said, I want to see if Abraham loves me enough to give his only son Isaac. And he tried him. An unanswered prayer is God trying you. For James 1, 3 says, The trying of your faith worketh patience. And God tries us to see if we'll keep coming 